Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The EV industry has plenty of moving parts. The charging networks, the automakers, the charger manufacturers, the charger management systems, and the software systems involved that play into making this industry work. All of these bits must come together to create harmony and seamless interoperability at their many intersecting points. The question remains of how exactly we're going to get there. Welcome back to the Out of Spec Podcast. I'm your host today, Francie, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Yannick Metzer from Southern Germany, but who now finds himself on the Pacific coast of the US in sunny California, where he holds the title of Head of North America at Pionex GmbH, and also serves as a contributor to the Read Electric Avenue weekly newsletter. And I've had that song stuck in my head ever since I've been <laughs> reading on your website. And you do other things as well. And your background includes your work at Lucid Motors on their charging and smart energy team. You also spent time with Faraday Future. And generally, you are sustained by a passion for e-mobility, sustainability, and clean energy solutions from all that I've read about you online and learned about you. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your work and diving into your thoughts about where the industry stands and where it's headed. Thanks, Francie. Great to be on. Great. Yes. And I want to start off by asking how you've gotten to where you are today. Of course, I gave a brief background of your resume credentials, but tell me a bit about yourself, your interests, and how your path in life has had led you here. Yeah, for sure. So like you mentioned, I'm originally from Germany. I studied industrial engineering. And when you live in southern Germany, where, you know, BMW, Mercedes, Porsche, and all those companies are based, your interest naturally kind of uh, flows in the direction of entering the automotive industry. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, I did then have the opportunity to do an internship in the US at Bosch. And they sent me to CES in Vegas, a really big conference, the Consumer Electronics Show. And there I got to test drive the BMW i3 that had just been released, the first electric mm. car of BMW. That was January of 2014. And it was my first 
time seeing, hearing, driving an electric car. And I was really excited about it. And I thought, wow, this is the future. I want to work in this area. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of how I got into the <laughs> industry. So uh, I came back to the US a year later to do my master's at UC Santa Barbara in California. And then I did an internship at Faraday Future down in LA. Very cool. Yes, so you got behind the wheel of an EV and then things just blossomed from there. But you have a very interesting background that has, you know, your technical expertise. And then it seems like your passion has really fallen here as well, which is, I, I love to see it, you know, when that path just kind of unfolds before you. And I want to, I know I mentioned you are the head of North America for Pionix, and I want to kind of have you tell us a bit of the story of w how this came to be because right now you stand as an open source software company you provide uh, embedded operate an embedded operating system to improve and unify electric vehicle charging infrastructure with the overall goal of being the answer to incompatibility between different charging systems for evs because we know there's a good bit of fragmentation in the market and from, from what I know, uh, like I said, the company has evolved over time. So can you tell me about the origin and then how you've how Pionix has gotten to where it is today? Yeah, definitely. So the company is about two years old, a little over two years old now. And um, um, when I was at Lucid Motors, we brought a charging station to market and I knew other companies and people in the industry bringing charging stations to market. And they always faced certain problems with interoperability because you have you know x number of car companies and then you have hundreds of manufacturers of charging stations globally and everyone re-implements the same standards so these standards these communication protocols are really just pdf documents that you can purchase from iso or sae and then you have engineers that read those documents and implement them in code and everyone does it a little bit differently because the standards are sometimes written in a vague way um, or people misinterpret things or interpret things differently. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes there's already a car in the wild, which let's say there's a 2013 Chevrolet Spark where they implemented it in one way. And in order to support that car nowadays a, as a charger, you have to deviate from the standard. So then if a new car comes to market that follows the standards too strictly, it's not going to work with your charging station because you tailored the charging station to work with X old car. So those are the nuances that create a lot of challenges, which is why car companies and charger companies go to these testing events and do testing with one another. And that's a lot of effort. It's logistical effort. It's time effort. It's engineering effort. And the idea of Pionics is really to minimize the number of implementations that you have out in the field by having one implementation, which is open source. So it's free to use for everyone and the whole world, the whole community between like academia, research labs and different manufacturers can contribute to it. Uh, they test it. And so by pooling the resources of the community, you can um, have one implementation which works very well and which also can move, you know, add new features uh, very rapidly. Yes, I, I'd like to stick to this point for a second of how you know, we, we call them it's standardization, but it's not it's not interpreted the same way. And the difficulty here with the vagueness that exists and how it creates problems like you highlighted. So can you paint a picture for me a little bit about how what you understand of how this vagueness exists and how it could possibly be interpreted in different ways? Because if we're thinking about an emerging industry where 
we can be standardized. There's all these topics of standard connectors, standard, you know, software behind it. How how are we how are we at the spot where we are <laughs> where there's not a unified approach? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the standards are like huge documents, and sometimes even though there's editing and review processes and iterations, sometimes things get missed. So a standard might get published, and there's something that's just not clearly defined and it's a 250 page document and someone just missed it. Um, and then they don't get revised for a while. It takes a couple of years to revise a standard. Um, so sometimes those things only really get cleared up in the field by, you know, people in the industry just kind of finding a consensus of how they deal with it. But then what happens is a new charger manufacturer wants to enter this market and they don't have all those industry connections. So they're not in on what the industry defined. Uh, so they need to figure that out. And that's, it's hard to do. It, it definitely is. I can see how if it's requiring all this testing and background, instead of being able to enter at the same level with the same information and understanding of that information, how it can cause folks to, you know, be set back in their mission of, like you say, trying to be a provider in this space, but also that those existing have to interpret it. It reminds me of law, like we interpret law, right? And there's precedent set, but it seems like with this kind of technology, we should, of course, be innovating and testing, but that starting from a uniform, uh, like across the board understanding. So I think that's an interesting uh, aspect that you your work focuses on. And I want you to speak a little bit um, to uh, going back to kind of how you're able to be where you are today. What are the main sources of funding or partnerships that have really been able to propel your work forward? Because like you say, it's free and open source. So um, who, who do you find are your most important partners or funding sources that are making your work possible? And how exactly are they contributing? Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, I think it's important to distinguish between Pionics, which is the company that I work for. It's a private for-profit company. And then Everest. So Everest is the open source project um, that the software stack, essentially, that you can you can go online on GitHub and download it and find the documentation. And how they're related is Pionics initiated Everest. We made the in- initial code contributions, and, and we still do a lot of code contributions. But then exactly here you have the logo. Everest is now an official project under the Linux Foundation, under the Linux Foundation Energy Division. So mm-hmm. about a year into the existence of Pionix, um, they partnered with Linux Foundation Energy to make this an official Linux Foundation open source project. So Linux Foundation has many projects in this energy space, and they looked at different candidates for an official project for the charging station software. And they ended up selecting Everest, which was proposed by Pionix. Um, So we still, you know, our developers contribute a lot of code to Everest, but there are also other companies already that contribute code and Mm -hmm. universities do research projects with it. Sometimes their developers contribute code. Um, So. Interesting. Yeah. Again, this, um, the pool of, contributors, which is kind of a theme of in the work that you do, which is also a, you know, kind of not a vertical integration necessarily, because there are different CPO provider or charge point operators, but a, again, a collaborative force. So, and it is great to, 
you know, yeah, be distinct where Pionix and Everest, which I like, um, are very different and one is a project born of the other. So um, can you speak to this a little bit more? So how is this able to be, um, well, so you've pointed to the main major issue here, that is there not, there's not enough standardization. And in other words, many different implementations of the same communication protocols across the different providers in the industry. So how exactly can large charge point operators that exist approach this kind of solution? Because I do know that there are, you know, they, they keep their cards close to their chest. They have individual efforts. There's not a ton of information sharing across the board because it is so competitive. So how can you really communicate this value proposition to them, especially when they have that, you know, we're, we're developing our own thing, we're remaining competitive in the market, and there's not always a ton of collaboration across the board. Right. So our main target customer are the charger manufacturers, which then in turn sell to the charge point operators, or sometimes they're the same thing, like kind of in the case of charge point. Um, but generally, they already use a lot of open source software. So a lot of charging stations, the central control board, the, the computer inside is a Linux computer, which uses open source Linux software. Um, but what in the past 10 years or so uh, these companies had to do is then make a make or buy decision so they could either take these charging protocols and standards and give it to their in-house engineers and tell them please implement this for us and they would have you know to figure that out they would have to spend time so the time to market is not that great but you have more control it's all in-house the alternative was there are companies which provide commercial implementations of these standards as software stacks that you can run on your controller um, so then your time to market is faster because you're just buying a solution. Um, but you have less control because it's another company. It's often you don't get the source code, so it's a black box to you. Um, and you also don't have much control. If you would like them to change something, there might be 10 other customers which are asking them to change something and you're down, down in the line, depending mm -hmm. on how much money you spend with them. So the pitch of Everest is that we can offer you the best of both worlds between make or buy. So in a way, the time to market is similar as with a make solution, uh, sorry, with a buy solution, um, because you get the code right away. Uh, you can download it on, on GitHub or you can ask us to help you integrate it on your hardware. Um, so the time to market is very fast, but mm -hmm. you have the same level of control as if your engineers did it in-house because mm -hmm. you have access to the source code. And if the company that helps you integrate it on your hardware, like Pionix, is ever too slow or too expensive or goes out of business, you can just ask your in-house developers or any external developers um, to take over the development and the code. Hmm. Very interesting. And hopefully that doesn't happen. But yeah, it makes me think of um, EVgo had their agreement with Delta to get a certain number of um, chargers manufactured. And then, of course, in that agreement, you can imagine that, well, if they have that kind of partnership, they're collaborating. But if you don't have that kind of partnership, then you're at a bit of a disadvantage. So I see where this can come in, where you can, yeah, you don't have to be waiting to be served um, if you need to implement something that is fixing a solution or improving what you're able to offer. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. Who have been your... Uh, uh, do, can you speak to who have been some of the early adopters of your product of Everest and how that has played out? So we don't have any big name known customers that we can talk about publicly yet. 
I can say mm-hmm. that we have very exciting customers in the pipeline, but we're only a two and a half year old company and it takes, you know, a year or two years to bring a charger to market traditionally. So, but we, I can say we have big automotive suppliers that have signed projects with us. We have companies from the solar space. Uh, we have car companies that want to bring charging stations to market. So um, as these become public, we will we will share the names of these customers. Um, mm-hmm. But so far, there are um, no, no big chargers, um, known chargers in the market yet. Sure, and totally understand. And can you speak a little bit with these, you know, uh, many early adopters that you've had have there been any lessons learned off the bat that you've already been able to improve on what you offer or kind of see that oh they you know this is a way that we can better communicate what we do so something we do is for example if we notice that there are we test with all kinds of cars and all kinds of CPO cloud backend systems and we publish on github the list of cars that we test with sometimes we publish log files um, and the same with the cloud backends. So if we find certain things, like if certain cars don't like certain behavior of the charging station, what we can do is we add a feature toggle. So then as a charging station manufacturer, or maybe as the operator, you can decide, do I want to be more standard compliant, which might enhance my compatibility with future cars coming to market, or do I want to support this specific car, which has this specific hiccup and there's mm. X number of them in the field. So those are some lessons that we learned, which we're now Hmm. implementing. That's really cool that you can kind of get a little customized with who you're catering to, because there are different issues based on different EVs, which is another moving part in this where automakers have their different approaches. And we're seeing some, you know, go you know, in a, in a line. First, we were, had the CCS alignment, and then and now it's going to NACS and more. And we'll see how that is implemented and the hopeful uniformity that comes along. Because again and again, yes, I think that the fragmented approaches create a bit of a more mm, bumpy ride for people in the EV transition and any part of the industry. So you're able to, that's one way that you're able to customize this service for customers. But um, I was reading on your website that, you know, pe- folks, customers can approach you and say, you know, this is exactly kind of what we're looking for. This is where we're coming from. So what other parts are you able to consider to best fit your product for their needs? Yeah. So something we're also trying to do is essentially our customers are the charging station manufacturers and we're a tier one supplier to them and there are other tier one suppliers kind of parallel to us. So these might be suppliers of payment terminals, of DC metering components, um, or of other like metrology chips or, you know, these kinds of uh, components. And um, normally charging station manufacturers would have to write their own drivers to make these components work with their charging stations. What we are trying to do is partner with these component manufacturers so that they Uh, provide drivers that work out of the box with Everest, which then helps the charging station manufacturers get to market even faster um, and makes them a preferred component. So we already have collaborations with um, companies like Chargebyte and uh, Fitech, which provide uh, these central controllers for charging stations. And you can buy controllers from them that come pre-installed with Everest. And there's no software licensing fee for that. You basically just pay for the hardware. Um, 
Yeah, um, so we focus just on this embedded software, the operating system that runs on the charger, but we think there should be open source solutions also in other parts of the value chain, for example, in the cloud backend for the charger. Um, and we see now some coming to market. Um, so that will be very um, helpful for operators or even for manufacturers of charging stations to have an open source freely available backend to test against. And then on the other hand, um, the ecosystem approach is also that we get, we use the power of the open source community. So I already mentioned this a little bit earlier, but universities or national research labs can also use the software for any kind of R&D testing. Um, because oftentimes that's a problem today. If you're a university or a research lab and you apply for a government grant to demonstrate something and you, mm -hmm. you're not a charging station manufacturer yourself, then you often have to find some charging station manufacturer that does the project with you and does custom code changes for you to test those specific functions. And that can often be a hindrance because those labs are approaching certain charging station manufacturers and first they say yes, but then their priorities or resources shift around and they pull out of the project. Mm -hmm. um, but with, with Everest, for example, uh, there are companies that sell you complete charger development kits where you can run Everest out of the box. So we sell one at Pionix called Belay Box. There are other companies like Seed Studio, which is a famous open source hardware company, which released a charger based on Beagle boards. Um, so you can use those for your projects then. And I want to kind of switch uh, topics to something else that you are involved in, and that is the Electric Avenue um, newsletter and media coverage that uh, you're a part of. So you're not only the head of North America at Pionix, but you also take time to take part in this uh, coverage of the industry. And I wanted to ask, why do you find being a part of this conversation in this way so important? Why do you find it important to step out and contribute to the coverage of what's going on? Yeah, so I started this newsletter about a year ago and I have a, um, a partner in Germany, Julius, who writes it together with me and it's a, it's a weekly newsletter we've been writing for, for a year now. Um, so what we do is we try to report things in the industry that we find are interesting. Sometimes we do deep dives. Sometimes we just curate links that we find interesting and give a little bit of opinion or analysis on them. And then we also try to make it entertaining. So we usually have a, like an electric meme of the week um, mm -hmm. that we add as well. But um, in the beginning, it was just, you know, fun. It was a, it was a hobby that we did next to our, our regular jobs. Um, mm -hmm. But over time, we found that because we work in the industry ourselves and have been for like five to seven years respectively, we can often see through the hype that is created in, in press releases. And we can also um, kind of give our opinion or, or see through that a little bit and, and uh, give like an insider's perspective. Um, so we tried to do that when all the news about Next came out. We tried to do that with topics like bidirectional charging and we found that that really resonates with readers. Mm -hmm. um, and we also found that it sparked interesting discussions among people in the industry um, on LinkedIn and platforms like that. Very cool. Yeah, it's there's a lot of um, noise out there, good and bad and neutral, and to be a part of it and be able to clarify things. And like you said, kind of see through whether it's, you know, hyping up a story or kind of making estimates for how something's going to perform, but then knowing that, well, we haven't seen that actually 
analyzed and proven yet. And being able to communicate that, I do think that's uh, very important. And it's it's also nice that this started kind of as a passion project, but it's grown to something that you you find is not only very valuable to you and the work that you and your partner do, but also to other people. And one of the um, articles that shared on your site that definitely relates to today's conversation is why charging sucks and what to do about it. Because a lot of people, that's really what's keeping them out of the EV space, whether it's adopting it or even getting interested in it, is that there's a lot of oof news about charging infrastructure and why it's just not meeting the standards. So um, like you said, usually you go into you know one topic in a bit of a deep dive and maybe you address some other topics briefly, but you all did uh, really dive into what you believe is standing in the way of a fully robust charging infrastructure. And folks can read this on the Electric Avenue website, of course, and we'll share the link and see how you specifically lay out your take on exactly why there are issues in the space that exists from fragmentation to software competencies, the mix of suppliers that are integrated into the system, connector designs, and more. But you also highlight solutions, which uh, I think is really important because, of course, there are problems and we can point to them. And um, that's really important. And what do we do with it? And before I do that, I just want to give credit to the guest author that we had for that week. So that, that was uh, Darren Howe from uh, he works at Cruise. He used to work at Tesla on the topic of charging. Mm-hmm. Um, so we collaborated with him to republish an article that he had published prior. And um, Julius and I edited it slightly and um, added some of our own thoughts. Um, but just want to make sure that that's recognized that this was uh, Mandy Darren's article. Definitely. We love to give credit where credit is due. Exactly. So Darren starts with, uh, first of all, train more technicians. Um, Here he mentions specifically um, Charger Help, which is a company some of you may know that is really focusing on uh, education and upskilling of people to enter this industry of charging station maintenance, um, which is going to need a lot of talent as we're building out these networks. Um, Definitely. I've seen a lot of initiatives, too, where there are scholarships for people moving into this space. Yeah. And I believe some of the incentives now require technicians to have a certain charging specific training or certification, which Mm -hmm. on the one hand is good because it ensures that they're properly educated. But it also creates a little bit of a constraint or bottleneck of getting people and and, uh, staff into the industry. Mm, Okay, understood. Um, And then thirdly, I did see this point that was um, better uh, connector suppliers. Yep. So um, just a quick note on the second point, service providers in in this um, context are the charging network operators. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the connectors, so the article was written before all this NACS transition Mm -hmm. happened. So... um, Darren here called out that silly removing latch on the CCS1 connector and people that work with these chargers will know that these latches do indeed break often um, and the cables are very expensive to replace. So that's one of the main points that people really like about Tesla's connector um, Mm -hmm. as well as about the CCS2 connector in Europe that you don't have this moving latch which uh, can easily break. Mm -hmm. And then this fourth point the information sharing or yeah, this information sharing point, you know, sharing charger manufacturers should share charger logs and raw data streams more directly with service providers. And I see why this would definitely be a point to be made. And also, I think there's the fact that there's not always super transparent information sharing, because 
trying to i mean what do you think is that trying to keep the competitive edge is it just you know this is our ip what do you think yeah so um there's a good example in the post there of how many different layers of organizations and and component suppliers are involved on both sides on the car and the charger side Um, you have so many parties and that really oftentimes leads to this game of playing telephone uh, which is mentioned Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. Um, so it just needs to be i think a mindset for people um, that um, you should try to share as much data as possible as we're all trying to figure out how to make the user experience better in this industry Um, and that's something that we are also trying to push inside of the everest project Um, hence we do publish on github publicly available log files of tests that we did with different charge uh, Mm -hmm. different cars and different charger backends Mm-hmm. You have this final port he- point here, um, true partnerships among all players in the ecosystem. Have you seen um, examples of this kind of partnership amongst players that exist that you are saying, oh, that is a great example of what we should do, and that is a benchmark and we should meet it, or they're almost there? Everest is obviously one example, but um, a more... Um a well-known one is probably the OCPP and the OCPI protocols themselves because they came out of initiatives of um, many players in the Dutch charging ecosystem. So charging network operators and utilities, um, they were very early with uh, development of this industry in the Netherlands. Um, and they had a lot of players and eventually they realized, okay, that the Netherlands as a market itself was just too small for us. Um, so let's make uh create ways that we can be interoperable um, to kind of have this rising tide that lifts all boats and, and make this um, market grow the whole pie, so to speak. If, if folks were interested in getting in this place or following a similar path like you, do you have advice to them or a kind of a motivation that you would give to them? Yeah, so for me, the motivation is really um, that I think we should transition our whole economy to being based on renewable energy. Um, I just heard an interview with the Rivian CEO, I think the other week at the code conference, and he mentioned how we had in like 75 years, um, burned more than 50% of, of the global oil supply. So it's just not sustainable, right? We have to transition to other energy sources and, um, you know, whether you want to support this because you want energy independence as a patriotic thing, or you want to support this because you're an environmentalist, I think we should all work on transitioning transportation away from um, uh, carbon fuel sources. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. You see what's happening to the world around us. I think I I also really enjoy um, the other benefits that come with EVs. So I personally drive a Kia Niro EV and have done so for three years. Before then, I drove an i3 in Munich. And it's great how little maintenance these cars need. Um, it's amazing how quiet they are. Um, so I think those are really big benefits too, because you know in the U.S., oftentimes you have highways going right through the middle of of a city, and it just creates a lot of air pollution as well mm-hmm. as noise pollution. So if you just imagine standing by a five-lane highway in the middle of an American downtown, and it would mm-hmm. all be EVs, imagine how much quieter it would be, how much better the air would be. So I think those are all really things to strive for as well. Definitely, and 
that's a huge factor in my motivator and i think a lot of also state local federal level to get evs on the road is because there's also a disproportionate effect on disadvantaged communities because those communities that usually live by the highways or that are worse affected globally are you know lower income communities and that get an unfair distribution of the negative impacts so definitely something to consider as well as just you know a human on planet earth so i i must agree i i really appreciate your um your how your passion has led you here that you have a not only a professional but a personal mission tied into this work and i think that's key with people in this place you know they're not just trying to make a, a great idea happen but they're motivated from their their core values check out the newsletter if you want the domain is readelectricavenue.com uh, if you do reply to the emails uh, we will we read every email if you comment on linkedin uh, we check that out as well so very easy to get in touch with us um, and then maybe we can add in the show notes also some links to everest there's a public mailing list hosted by the linux foundation so even if you're not yet in the industry and you're just interested in following along, um, there are public calls you can join. There's uh, this email list that you can follow along. So because it's open source, it's all very um, approachable and neutral out in the public. So we can add those links maybe in the show notes. Yes, perfect. Um, we'll definitely add all the links so folks be able will be able to look into the description and head there and definitely sign up for the newsletter. Um, it's it's great. I do really appreciate uh, your work. And I like the little bit of fun that you throw in there with the gifs and the, um, but also the, you, you write in a very, um, I like how you write and engage people in what you're doing. So thank you again for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's really interesting to learn about your work and your approach in general to collaboration in this space and openness, right? There's a lot of walls, uh, but there's also a lot of fragmentation that needs to be connected uh, to really succeed in this space. So we'll see how it evolves over time. But yeah, thank you for your time. And I hope to keep track of what you do and maybe one day have you back on if you have some interesting news that we'd like to cover. Sounds good. Thank you, Francie. Great to be on. See you next time on the Out of Spec podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.